Hello and welcome back to the Vol Report Show. I'm Ryan Sylvia with ValReport.com on the Rivals Network. And it is officially game week for Tennessee and Iowa as they prepare to square off in the Citrus Bowl. I'm with Adam Jacoby of GoIowaAwesome.com. They do a great job over on the over on the Rivals Network covering the Hawkeyes. So I have a couple questions for him. First of all, how are you doing, Adam? I'm doing well, Ryan. How about you? I'm doing all right. Just uh, just got done chatting a little bit about our, our holidays. So it's a, it's a fun time of the year, though, coming up on the new year with all these bowl games as well. First things first, I want to kind of get a, a feel for what this Iowa football season's looked like. Can we get a, a quick rundown maybe of what this season's looked like? It's been, a, I guess, a successful one. It's been a, a kind of funny one to watch from afar. But if you get to the Big Ten Championship, you've got to be happy, right? You would think so. <laughs> the the fan base, it's it's been a strange, strange ten and two season, or I guess now ten and three after the Big Ten championship. But it was a strange ten win season for the Hawkeyes this year, and a big part of that is just the fact that the offense was predicted to be bad and ended up worse. Some of that had to do with just rotten luck with injuries, and the fact that. Uh, transfer quarterback Cade McNamara uh, blew out his knee pretty quickly in the season mm-hmm. and backup transfer quarterback Deacon Hill, who was really not expected to be a major contributor at quarterback, ended up shouldering the load for the last two thirds of the season and ended up, you know, delivering Iowa to the Big Ten West Championship, a division championship, which, you know, the Big Ten West was not the best division in college football this year. Spoiler alert, Ryan. But it is a division championship, right? There, there's no, like, third column for, you know, there's not wins, losses, and, well, wins we don't really like as much, right? It's, you know, it's the same W's and L's. So the fact that they were able to persevere through really a terrible offensive season and end up getting win after win after win it was unique. It was sometimes frustrating for fans, especially the ones that enjoy seeing the scoreboard, you know, sort of get lit up a little bit more often. But ultimately, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's only so much you can complain about a 10-win season. So when teams enter bowl games, it's kind of funny because sometimes a team is really happy to be in the bowl game they are. And then you have a situation like the Orange Bowl this year where you have a Georgia team and a FSU team that are both pretty upset that they're only in the orange bowl i think for tennessee it's safe to say that there's some that may be expected a, a back-to-back new year six appearance and are a little bit upset about a citrus bowl but i think the majority feel pretty good about the spot they're in and the team itself seems pretty motivated to, to play in this game on the iowa side what are the thoughts about ending the season in the citrus bowl well it's going to be looked at as a success because the team looks at the season with certain team goals. And one of them is to win the big 10 outright. And they didn't get there, but they got to the championship game, right? They, they did win the division, right? They, they did have individual success. Like uh, Jay Higgins makes it from backup to all American in one year. Uh, Cooper DeGene really came close to having a uh, Heisman style season at cornerback and just sort of things out of his control kept him from getting that far. But we're still like only talking mm-hmm. about a first team All American season instead, right? Uh, but 
came close to something even greater than that, which is a little bit amazing. So, and at Iowa, we're talking about a program that has never won a championship in the, you know, the BCS era or thereafter, or the college football playoff era. We're, we're talking about a team that's never made the playoff, uh, hasn't won the Rose Bowl itself since the 1950s, right? So there were some frustrations among fans this year. And for those Tennessee fans who go down to Orlando and talk to Iowa fans, you're going to hear about those frustrations because mm-hmm. they're, you know, Iowa fans do like to hold grudges. That's uh, that's part of the Midwest nice equation too. But by and large, it's not as if a result like this, 10 and 3, division championships, Citrus Bowl, that doesn't fall below certain guidelines that most reasonable fans have because Iowa doesn't clear bars higher than that very often. I mean, mm-hmm. and we're we're talking about once every few decades when Iowa does. So this is for a program like Iowa, pretty darn close to a great season, a special season in and of itself already. So when these bowl games come up, it's tough sometimes to really judge a team because of all the opt-outs and all the transfers that happen in, in this era of college football for the Vols. You have one opt-out, your thousand yard rusher and Jalen Wright, he's declared for the NFL draft, but you do have a good amount of transfers that have hit the portal. A lot of them already finding their new homes, mostly on the defensive side of the ball for Iowa. What does that look like so far? Any key pieces missing in the transfer portal that aren't going to play or opt outs that have already kind of decided that they're going to look at the next level. You know, it's funny that you ask that because Iowa is a little bit of a dinosaur of the college football world in a lot of ways. Uh, Playbook being one of them, but another <laughs> one, an, another type is that the team is pretty much intact at this point. The biggest source of losses for this game, personnel-wise, isn't the transfer portal. It's not opt-outs or you know or, or the NFL draft. It's injuries. It's injuries to guys like Kate McNamara, uh, Eric Allen, Luke Lachey, the two uh, All-American uh, caliber tight ends. Right, they want to be out there. Cooper DeGene uh, is as is out with a broken foot, so those guys want to be out there. They can't be out there, and that is unusual uh, among uh, teams. And and even for Iowa, it's a little bit unusual. They had, they had more people opting out of the Music City Bowl last year yeah. than they do for the Citrus Bowl this year. So they've done a great job somehow of keeping the wagon circled and uh, keeping everybody intact. So Iowa should be pretty close personnel-wise to 100% of the guys that are physically capable of being out there. But uh, DeGene is a perfect example of how Iowa won't be at 100%, and he's a guy that opens up a lot of doors for the Hawkeyes and for their defense. So Tennessee will have a personnel gap to exploit there. Uh, let's talk about the offense a little bit first the quarterback position it's been the or you expected it to be the Cade McNamara show but it ended up being Deacon Hill who's finished the season as you mentioned earlier kind of what has Deacon Hill done this year how has he stepped into that role you just said that kind of the play calling's uh, a little bit Jurassic maybe but how has he kind of handled this situation with Iowa's offense well it turned out that Deacon got more practice with the ones 
than any other quarterback on the Iowa roster this year because McNamara hadn't been cleared for 11-on-11 practicing during the spring. And uh, Joe Labus, who had beaten Kentucky in the Music City Bowl last season, was also recovering from injury. So almost by default, Deacon Hill, who had been it like himself a transfer from Wisconsin, was expecting to end up at, uh, I want to say it was Samford or Fordham, but it was, it, I think it was Samford. It was one of those FCS teams. He was expecting to end up there and hadn't played any major college ball since 2020. So he like, probably shouldn't have been starting for a, for a uh, major college football team, especially a power five one, especially one trying to contend for a big 10 championship. And being that he was pressed into a situation where he wasn't really in position to succeed, he made the most of it. And, you know, kept his knives to the grindstone. Was he making some mistakes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and was was the coaching situation ahead of him? Like, was it conducive to success? No. Oh, no. And Brian Ferentz is now pretty well out of a job. Like, he's 60 minutes away from not being Iowa's offensive coordinator anymore because of that. But nonetheless, he has gone uh, – Deacon has gone from a – 260-pound, water-polo-trained quarterback without a whole lot of Power 5 experience. And, like, you watch this guy's mechanics, mm-hmm. they're going to look funky to you until you realize that he comes from a water-polo family. And then all of a sudden, this, like, strange throwing angle that you'll see that never really comes up really high with the elbow, it'll make sense at that point. And he's got an absolute cannon for an arm. But in terms of accuracy, we're not really quite sure where that ball is going to go yet. So you'll see a little bit of that out of Hill, too. But by and large, he has grown as a quarterback and grown in terms of accuracy, grown in terms of confidence, grown in terms of making fewer bonehead plays. But Tennessee will probably see a bonehead play or two out of him. And he'll take responsibility for it after the game, too. So... Really a lot of growth out of a guy who was thrust into a position that wasn't really, you know, putting him in position to succeed. And he's doing the best he can. But ultimately, I think Tennessee fans will see why Iowa has been averaging about 16 points a game this year. And now his weapons that that he's able to use in the past game, the leading receiver on the team still at the end of the season is, is tight end Eric Hall. When you look at receiving yards, and that's a guy who hasn't played since October. Uh, so kind of what weapons does he have left to use? Uh, obviously the tight end position, uh, very popular over in Iowa. They, they've produced a lot of great NFL tight ends recently as well. But with the banged up or banged up, partially banged up, partially just, transferred away secondary for Tennessee at this point, who's going to be really young and inexperienced in this bowl game. Maybe who are some of the guys that he'll be looking to, to kind of try to exploit that. Iowa has gotten more production out of a guy named Caleb Brown and Brown was a transfer from Ohio state was a four star, high four star receiver, but it played running back in high school so he's got some of those running back skills in terms of 
you know, how do you get yards after contact? How do you, you know, finish with your shoulder pads down, et cetera, et cetera. But it also means that he's growing as a receiver. So his path to the field wasn't quite as quick as Iowa fans wanted. And it, you know, caused a little bit of uh, static there too. But after a receiver ahead of Brown went down with an injury for what ended up being the end of the year. And he's going to uh, end up transferring. It looks like he's going to transfer out Northeast. Uh, Deontay Vines is that receiver's name. Vines got hurt again. Brown stepped up and started to become a, a little bit of a weapon, started to fulfill that number one potential. And Iowa really needs that. So with all of this extra practice that Iowa can get from the bowl games, I think you're going to see a little bit of an incremental step up from Caleb Brown. I think you're going to step see that incremental step up from Deacon Hill. You'll also see it from a guy at tight end named Addison Estrenga, who is in for the injured Lachey, who is injured in for the injured Eric All. And I had been planning on looking up whether or not All was still the leading receiver on the team. So thank you for that. But it. <laughs> It is a perfect encapsulation of how challenged the Iowa passing game was and continues to be this year, right? I Let me look at this one up real quick here. Yeah, like Nico Regani, who's fine, but is not a tremendous wide receiver, even as a sixth-year senior, but he's 47 yards away from catching Eric Hall. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not optimistic about that. So it's <laughs> really plausible that Iowa finishes the season without a guy with even 300 receiving yards. Yeah. Like there, there, there are guys who have done that in a game this year in college football. Yeah. And Iowa will finish without anybody with doing that for the year. So a lot needs to be fixed. And again, some of that is outside of these guys' control, especially with injuries. But not all of it, and it's why Iowa is in the middle of what has been a, at times, embarrassing search for answers in the passing game, and it has led to the athletic director firing the offensive coordinator during the bye week, mm-hmm. but effective at the end of the season, and basically starting that search for the offensive coordinator in the middle of the year. That, too, caused a lot of consternation in Iowa City, but we're going to end up like there. The whole situation is going to end up with a receiver not clearing 300 yards for the year with the entire receiving court, none of them clearing 300 yards. So clearly something had to happen. Something had to break. And this is what it looks like. And it's a little bit of a mess. So the fact that Tennessee doesn't really have a whole lot of warm bodies at secondary Right, mm-hmm. I'll just tell you this right now. It's probably not going to matter. You, I don't know what your 40 is, you personally, but if it's under six, they, they could probably run you at strong safety for, you know, you could be a rotation piece. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. But uh, I, I think that'll make a lot of Tennessee fans happy because right now you, you have two guys that started this season in the secondary that are still on track to play in this bowl game. So it should be a good experience, I guess, for, uh, for these young guys to, to maybe uh, 
get their feet wet a little bit in some in a good game in a in a big atmosphere and in kind of w- with a lot of attention on them without maybe getting torched and and ruining some confidence. But we can sit here and talk about Iowa's offense and the woes that come with that all day. But this team won ten games and they were represented in the Big Ten championship game. So clearly something's going right, and that is the defense. They've been phenomenal. Can you tell me about this defense and kind of what they've been able to do to give this team so much success and kind of save the season a little bit? Everything on the defense starts with Phil Parker, who is the defensive coordinator, has been on Kirk Ferentz's staff for as long as Kirk Ferentz has been in Iowa City, which is coming up on a quarter of a decade now. And he has been the defensive coordinator itself uh, ever since Norm Parker, who's of no relation, uh, but uh, it's a name that should be familiar to longtime SEC fans. Who's, he had come from Vanderbilt. He had been a pretty successful defensive coordinator there. Went to Iowa, became great, had some health problems, and retired Phil Parker, uh, who came up through Nick Saban as a defensive back at Michigan State, took over, uh, ascended from D-backs coach to defensive coordinator, coordinator, and he's great. And Iowa is perennially a top five defense in pretty much every major statistical category or top 10 in every statistical category for several years now. And we're talking about total defense, total yards, like scoring deep, like the big ones. Mm -hmm. Iowa's top five, top 10 every year. And it's because Phil Parker runs a system that is not simple or excuse me, it's not easy, but it's simple. The pre-snap recognition and the um, assignments that these guys get is not necessarily a whole lot to keep track of, but they have to be precise about it. They have to be right. And the end result is these guys are in position to make plays and are rarely finding themselves out of position where the opponent can make their big chunk plays themselves. And they just find good, smart players to play these positions too. So Iowa's defense will challenge Tennessee quite a bit, even with Cooper DeGene missing, because DeGene was a first-team All-American cornerback and extremely difficult to throw on. And Iowa's secondary takes a step back without DeGene in there. It just has to. So Tennessee will have more opportunity to throw the ball downfield than it would have if Iowa were completely healthy. That being said, this is not a situation where one piece makes all of this fall apart. Mm -hmm. And Iowa also has an All-American in uh, Jay Higgins at middle linebacker who is capable of directing the defense and making sure that everybody's assignments are great. And he's been pretty close to flawless at that. Uh, Same goes for the free safety, Quinn Schulte, who has spent basically all year as one of the highest rated tacklers in PFF. And you look at this kid and he's maybe six feet tall, maybe a buck 95 when you're actually talking to him. And he hits like a truck. And uh, Sebastian Castro is the cashbacker and everyone who's played cashbacker at Iowa has gone on to the NFL. And we're talking about guys like Amani Hooker, uh, Dane Belton, Geno Stone. Like these are guys making 
bank in the NFL too. They're starting. They're right. They they are contributors to NFL defenses. Castro's going to be that same guy. So Iowa has a lot of dangerous guys on defense, even with uh, Cooper out. There's a lot of guys who can turn uh, Tennessee over. There's guys who are going to make it very difficult to run on them, especially missing that thousand yard rusher. Like this is going to be tough. And Iowa cut its teeth against some pretty darn like in terms of offensive line quality, some pretty darn tough offenses in terms of skill position quality, maybe not so much. So there that's going to be where the big challenge is, but Tennessee really needs to have its A game ready on offense or Iowa's going to press them into some mistakes and capitalize on them. So how do you see this game going? Because it's kind of a different styles of approach here with Tennessee wanting to get the tempo up and, and primarily focusing on the offensive end. And it's kind of the opposite for Iowa. I saw someone on Twitter call out the tortoise and the hair bowl. And I thought that was kind of funny. How do you see this one going though? Who, who's going to win uh, kind of what's this game going to look like? Yeah, Tortoise and the Hairball is actually really good yeah. uh, because the when I watch Iowa football, I see like World War One football. <laughs> I don't mean like leather helmets and single wing. I mean like trench warfare, Battle mm-hmm. of Verdun. Like it's just rock fight, rock fight, rock fight, shell shock, and you, you look up and has anybody even moved after? <laughs> You know, after a few years. So, I mean, obviously Tennessee is favored by, I think last I saw was eight and a half points. And that feels about right, especially with Iowa's secondary missing a huge piece in the gene. So I think this is going to be a low scoring game as most of Iowa's games have been. And, you know, I don't think Tennessee is going to be necessarily hurt all that much. (laughs) But the personnel missing on in the secondary. Mm-hmm. So I think Tennessee, I mean, if you're if you're asking me to put money down, I think this is looking like about a I don't know, a 13 to 3, a 13 to 7 game, maybe 16 to 7-ish. Which by Iowa standards is practically a barn burner. Yeah. But <laughs> it's you know how's Iowa going to move the ball 80 yards against even a depleted Tennessee defense? It's going to be tough. Now it might be the case that these 15 extra practices they've gotten with the bowl game have been exactly what guys like Hill and Brown need. And, you know, there is something to be said for that. They are going to get a few guys back from injury, but by and large, this is, the sort of def- or this is the sort of offense that a uh, Tennessee defense that has a bunch of second string guys in like this is who you want them cutting their teeth against so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to watch i think it'll be more instructive for how next season is going to go than it is a reflection of how good these two teams this season has been this year so I'm interested in that aspect of it too. And and for that reason, I'm not going to be too upset if Iowa loses this game because I, and, and I don't think Iowa fans should be all that upset about it too, because ultimately you're looking for how guys who should be stepping into bigger roles next year, you're looking to see how they perform as mm-hmm. much as anything else. So yeah, I'm going to say 
my prediction is going to be uh, Tennessee wins sixteen to seven. What about you? That's kind of uh, me and my my coworker Noah Taylor. We've kind of said very very similar similar scores where yeah. we say I, I think Tennessee wins this one, but probably by about five to seven to eight somewhere in that range. But I don't know if either team goes over twenty. It's kind of what what we've landed on as well. And I think that's kind of the, I mean, you, you mentioned Vegas agrees with that projection as well. And I think that a, a lot of people talking about this game have kind of been in the same boat. Well, let me ask you this. You, you mentioned that some teams get more, uh, they get more up for bowl games than others. Is it, are you expecting a full effort out of Tennessee coming into this game? I, I am because I think a lot of the guys that are playing in this bowl game are trying to prove something for next season, similar to what you just said about Iowa on that side. But if you look at a lot of the positions, it's either a senior who's out of eligibility who wants to kind of end with one last hurrah. We we talked to Ramel Keaton, a, a fifth year wide receiver who, who's done after this year. And during his press conference, he said multiple times, like, we just want to finish things on the on the right foot. We want to finish things with a win. I personally want to have a good performance and kind of end it on the right note. So you have guys like that, and then you also have these guys that are freshmen and redshirt freshmen and sophomores who maybe didn't play a lot this year, but they have the opportunity to be a starter next year, and they want to prove to the coaching staff right now that they deserve to get the, those snaps. So some of it, maybe maybe selfish isn't the right word, but some of it maybe just for personal reasons that guys are going to wake up for this game. But I do think that they're here and they're they're ready and that this would be a, a big deal for them to play well in this game. Yeah, then, then I think Iowa's going to be in the same boat on that. So I think this should be like a, a good, spirited, competitive yeah. game. The, the one thing that I'll just throw out there too is that Tennessee does need to come out clean because one last thing about the way Iowa plays and really the only way that any of this works is that since 2015 Kirk Ferentz and Iowa are I think the stat is something like 73 and 2 at this point when they have an 8 point lead okay not an 8 point lead in the fourth quarter yeah, not a like like there there's there there aren't these huge qualifications attached to it. <laughs> All they have to do is go up by eight, and it's practically a guaranteed victory. And that has so much to do with the way that this defense operates. The defense forces offenses into a all right. We need to take a shot here. Well, the defense is going to be ready for that. They're they're schemed to be ready to take those away. So. Tennessee needs to be careful that they don't let Iowa get that high ground, even if it's early, even if it's the first, the you know, the first quarter, the first half, what have you. You let Iowa get up, and all of a sudden, it turns into one of those boa constrictor games. So, a little bit of caution there, but as long as Tennessee takes care of its business and makes sure that Iowa doesn't get any easy points on offense, or you know, doesn't give up any defensive points. Uh, directly, I would expect the Volunteers to win. But Hypo better have these boys ready. I'm going to yeah. say that much. And I think what could get interesting about this game is with the the difference of tempos. If Tennessee comes out in this game, and l- let's say they they get the opening kickoff and go three and out, and then get the ball back, move the chains once, and then punt, you might be going into halftime with like 
four minutes of possession <laughs> just because of the way yeah. how fast Tennessee goes and how slow Iowa goes. That could play into that whole uh, kind of you need to get out to a fast start, and that goes to Tennessee's offense. If you don't get out to a fast start and put together some drives early, you might be heading to the to the locker room at halftime, and you may feel like you were on defense for all thirty minutes. So, that, I think that's something to note as well. But we'll we'll do a we do always do a keys to success late in the week, so we'll have that this week as well. And, and maybe that's a bit of a preview into that. It's kind of what Tennessee needs to do is let's get off to a fast start and, and let's make sure we get some drives put together. But Adam, thank you for joining the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. Tell everyone where they can find your work, where they can find you on social media and all of that. You bet. Uh, we are at iowa.rivals.com. Go Iowa Awesome is the name of the site. You can find me at Adam underscore Jacoby on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and our Iowa, uh, or excuse me, our Go Iowa Awesome Twitter account is just at Iowa Awesome. And you can find all of our work there as well. And uh, I will be publishing a uh, Tennessee fans guide to Iowa football yet today, uh, Tuesday. So be looking for that uh, this afternoon slash evening. Uh, but that is uh, where I got the World War One line. So <laughs> a little bit of a spoiler alert there. But yeah, uh, that's where you can find me. Yeah, everyone, make sure you go check out uh, Go Iowa Awesome. They do a fantastic job over there, and, and that sounds like something that, that Tennessee fans should definitely check out, a, a nice guide to, to Iowa football, because it should be unlike anything that Tennessee fans have seen from the opposition to this point this season, maybe not for a long time. So, Adam, thanks again for joining the show. I appreciate it. Make sure you guys head over to VolReport.com as well to find all of our content. I'm on Twitter at Ryan T. Sylvia, and thank you guys for watching.